As we just heard sung so masterfully, transform us as we are transfigured. That's really our prayer. That's really the prayer of our lives all the time, whether we acknowledge that or not. And today we are unpacking a very odd passage from the New Testament. It's included in your bulletin insert, should you like to follow along. And since we've just already heard a prayer, let us now be attentive to these words. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Humanity has been raised from the dead. May God speak to us through these interesting words. What is the role of imagination in your life? Do you allow yourself to imagine, to dream, to think the unthinkable, the impossible? Do you imagine a new heaven and a new earth? Do you imagine a new way of being in the world for you? What's the role of imagination in the matters of ultimate concern? This is the question that Thomas More addresses in his recent article in the current issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. What is the role of imagination in the matters of ultimate concern? He goes on to write that imagination is one of the top issues in the spiritual life, certainly in religion in general, and yet many religious and spiritual people are suspicious of imagination. They're afraid to speak in metaphor or story or poetry. They want to focus on fact more important than insight, value, and understanding when it comes to faith. And if faith is about anything, it's in the realm of the mysterious, not the magical, but the imagined imaginative realm of the world. Rather than one to know where Noah's ark actually landed, the question is what did Noah's ark represent? Now as I was reading Thomas More's article, I couldn't help but think of the text that we just heard from St. Matthew. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read this story, as we have just heard of what happened on some mountaintop, Tabor, I wonder to myself, really? Did this really happen? Did it not happen? 
Did all the events of Jesus' life, as, is, as are recorded in scripture, probably none is at the top of the most weird, bizarre, and crazy for me as this one. Did it not happen? Did it happen? Did it happen the way it's reported to have happened? Is it historical? Is it metaphorical? Is it allegorical? Is it symbolic? Is it literal? Does it matter? If it happened the way it's reported to have happened? You know, we'll never know if what is actually recorded happened step by step the way that Matthew portrays it, but the most interesting thing about this particular story, it's in all of the synoptics. It's in Mark, Luke, as well as Matthew. The fact that it's in all three means that something happened to those who witnessed a transformative experience on the mountain, the mountain known as Tabor. At least for James, John, and Peter. Something happened for them. And, you know, we wouldn't be reading it today and even considering it if something hasn't been happening in the church down through the ages. If it was pure fallacy, it would have disappeared. But it has had staying power. This story, so as odd as it is, asks us, I believe, to look at our lives and our faith as we attend this mystery we call God. So when have you had transformations or transfigurations in your life? We've all had them, whether we've identified them that way or not. A couple weeks ago, I saw an amazing movie. I know many of you have seen it as well, called Hidden Figures. If you haven't, do. It records the life of three African-American women who were absolutely instrumental in our getting a human being in space through the NASA space program. Two incidents to me speak of transformation. One is um, a woman who becomes like the lead programmer, played by Olivia Spencer, if you know her, she's just an amazing actress. Um, and she pushes and pushes and pushes to get herself and her team of African-American women to work on this computer that the white guys had no idea um, how to really work. Her white supervisor would not allow her to be elevated to the level of supervisor, and eventually she was. But in a bathroom experience, where both of them are in the same bathroom, and that was a transformative experience as well, the white supervisor woman said to the Olivia Spencer, I have nothing against you people. And Olivia Spencer said, I believe you believe that. The look on the white woman's face was a transfiguration. The other story that happened in the same movie is that the lead scientist, a mathematician, without whom we would have never gotten someone in space, worked in an all-male lab, for lack of a better word, with other engineers, and there was no colored-only bathroom in that building. So she had to run in her heels, this was in the 60s, to three other buildings away to find a bathroom that was a colored bathroom where she would, could use. She would take work with her. Well, eventually, the head of 
her division, played by Kevin Cosner, finally said to her, where do you go for a half hour a day, and why? And she said, I need to go to relieve myself, and there's no bathroom in this building. There was a transfiguration in his whole being when he got it. And later he goes down and takes an axe to the white only sign over the woman's bathroom at Nassau, or Cape Canaveral then probably, and removes it from the wall. And he said, at Nassau there is no color. That was a transfiguration. So what this story is telling us is that transfigurations happen when we move into our own imagination, when we believe that the impossible can become possible. That is what transfiguration and transformations are all about. For imagination or dreaming, if you will, we have to dream something into existence before it becomes reality, is the language of the heart. And the language of the heart is the language of God. The language of the heart is the language of God. So what really took place on that mountaintop, we'll never know. But we do know when we have experienced transformations or transfigurations in our lives, or we've seen it in the lives of others, we can almost taste it. There is such a noticeable change in a person's behavior and life and thinking that they can never go back to where they were. So this story is about transfiguration and transformation, and it's all about that we can change. We can change as individuals, we can change as a church, we can change as a society. So it's really asking, how do we change our understandings of ourselves? How do we, how do we change our understandings of God? Or do we put people in a box and keep them there? Now, I think that's what was going on for James and Peter and John. They knew this teacher, this rabbi Jesus, but all of a sudden, his, his countenance changed in the presence of Jesus on that hillside or that mountaintop. Jesus was transfigured. They saw him differently. They had to take him out of the box. And I believe this gospel is asking us, this story is asking us to take our biases out of the box. People that we think can't change actually limits them from changing. So how about our current political situation? Do we believe that anything can change in Washington? If we believe it can't, it won't, regardless of what other side of the aisle we're on. If we look at a person who's always been asking for money, we will never see that person as a fellow human being that might be in need. This has happened in regarding racism and sexism and misogyny all down the world. Rather than just seeing a woman for what women can do, we see a person who has gifts and abilities and powers. Rather than just seeing a gay or lesbian, we see, instead of being behavior, we see a human being who loves differently than we do. This is what transfiguration and transformation is all about. And so this bizarre story that took place on some hill somewhere centuries ago speaks to us today saying that we can change, that we can be transformed that we can work for the impossible to become possible. And we, my friends, as Christians, 
this is our call. How do we work on bringing about transformation in people's lives, in our lives, so that we can be open to see the very manifestations of God in front of us in ways we never dreamed possible before? You know, a couple things are going on in this story as well. Peter, who experiences this transformation of Jesus, does something really so petery, so stupid. He says, Woo, let's build three huts. Hut for you, hut for Moses, hut for Elijah. Let's have some s'mores and we can sit around and sing Kumbaya. You know? What happens is when we experience God, we experience change in our lives, we want to make it a still life, freeze it in time, rather than realizing when we encounter an experience of God, an experience of the holy, an insight, a transformation, we have to leave the mountaintop and go back into the valley, because the valley is where we live. The valley for the disciples would have been Bethany and Jerusalem. The valley for us is San Francisco and San Mateo, Palo Alto, San Anselmo, Oakland, Alameda, Berkeley. That's the valley where we have to live out transformation in the messiness of down the valley. So we take the experience of light that we've experienced, the insight, it's given to one, but it's given to one for the many. And finally, out of that cloud, Peter, who was doing this thing of let's build huts, a voice spoke, Peter stopped, which I hope you and I would as well if we heard a voice from a cloud speak to us. And the voice simply said, listen. That's all the voice said. The voice simply said, listen. What would happen if we really listened to those with whom we disagree? We really listened to the God who created us and called us good. We really listened to our family members, our children, our spouses, our colleagues. We really listened. So this text, in my opinion, is asking us to let go of our preconceptions and biases, to open ourselves to God's creative, imaginative spirit, and to listen. And in the listening, may we hear the voice, you are my beloved, and to know that those words are spoken to you and to me. Transfigure us, O oh God, and do it now. Amen. Thank you.